How's everybody doing? You doing good? So uh, we want to welcome uh, all of us watching by Elevate uh, family, watching us online. We want to welcome all of our Facebook friends. We are very honored to have you this morning, and we believe God has something very, very special for you. And before we start, I want to encourage you guys to be a two-minute missionary. And I want you to take the stream, and I want you to share the stream. If you share this stream, you're probably going to do more evangelism than most Christians do in an entire year. And you're going to do it all with the push of a finger. So we're uh, doing a series, so share the stream. Uh, giving links should be on the bottom of the screen. I get that question a lot as well. And so we're doing a series called The Son is Given, and it's based on Isaiah chapter 9. And it's, uh, this is a passage, this is a prophetic scripture given hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And so it goes like this. Uh, well, I give you the background the last few weeks. And there was a king in Israel, his name was Ahaz, and Ahaz was a very wicked king. And there was a lot of uh, pressure coming on the nation uh, from the Assyrian army. There was another nation that was trying to take over the southern kingdom of Judah. And God had made a covenant with Judah that he would protect it. And so he, God sends the prophet Isaiah to the king Ahaz, not because Ahaz was a good guy. Ahaz was a horrible guy, right? And so one of the things Ahaz was doing, and we can kind of identify a little bit as Christians today, is that Ahaz was barring the doors of the temple. So Ahaz had locked out everybody from worship. No one was allowed to worship. And everything else could happen, but there was no worship that was allowed. And, and so the, the spiritual uh, life of the people and the spiritual prosperity of the people suffered. And so God, meaning to keep his promise and his covenant with David, sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, and he tells Ahaz, Ask me for a sign. I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians. But ask me for a sign. Anytime Jesus asks you for a sign, ask him for a sign. Tell him what you want, right? So if he's, he's asking him, he's like, Show, ask of me and, let me and let me give you something that's going to prove to you that I'm going to do what I'm telling you I'm going to do. And of course, Ahaz is like, oh, far be it from me. I shouldn't burden the Lord. He's never burdened the Lord with anything. He was a complete flat-out pagan who didn't worship anything about the Lord. And so God says to him, because you're not going to ask me for a sign, I'm going to give you a sign. And so this is one of the ways the prophetic dimension of God works, is God always speaks in the near and he speaks in the far. So the word has an application in the immediate, and the word has an application in the future. And so Jesus uh, gives the word through the prophet, and he declares a great deliverance that's not just going to happen in the immediate, it's going to happen in the future. And so this passage comes out of this prophetic word because it, God was promising to deliver them from their immediate circumstances, but he points to a day where there would be an even greater deliverance. So Isaiah chapter 9, 6 says, For unto us a, son is, a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called, or he will be known as, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and of the greatness of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign upon David's throne and over his kingdom. He will establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forward forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So clearly this is no ordinary child he's talking about, 
right? And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he tells, the, he tells the king that the virgin is going to conceive. So this is this ongoing dialogue with Ahaz, and Isaiah is prophesying about this tremendous deliverance that's going to come through the birth of a virgin, and this tremendous deliverance that's going to come because a child is going to be born and a son is going to be given. And so what the prophet is referencing here is a divine, is divine human. So it's gonna be, he's going to be a child that's been born, but he's going to be the son that's given. And so Jesus became, Jesus is divine humanity. The word uh, son in the Hebrew is the word banan, it means sent forth. So Jesus being the son of the father, he's the one sent forth from the Godhead. We went over this the last couple of weeks. He's a son that is given, so he is the pre-existing God that came into human, human form. Eternity stepped into time. God became as us, that we might be like him. We're created in his image and likeness, so God created himself as we are so that we could become like him and we could come back to him because man was separated and so one of the things that it tells us here in uh, Isaiah is it's not just talking about the child that was born it's not just talking about the son that is given I'm going to try to break down this passage for you uh, over the next few weeks and today I just want to talk about this one little point and it says the government will be upon his shoulders and so what this the Bible is referencing is that heaven has come down the authority of government, of the government of heaven has come down. So what had happened, mankind through Adam had sold out his authority in the earth. The, Satan is called the God of what? This what? Anybody know? This world, right? You guys know that? And why is he called the God of this world? Well, he wasn't always the God of this world. He's a fallen angel. God created man and woman to rule and to rule the earth. The Bible says the heavens, even the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given unto man. So we are the stewards of the earth. We were always given stewardship and dominion over the earth. That was the command that he gave to Adam to go forth, to rule and subdue. What was he telling him? On earth as it is in heaven. As you have seen, so you do. So God gave Adam and Eve a mandate to multiply. And in their multiplication, they were to go and create culture in the earth. And what culture were they supposed to create? They were supposed to create the kingdom culture. Adam was created and called by God to, ask, to become the little delegate or the delegate of heaven on the earth. And he was supposed to, this is the same command God gave to Moses. When God commanded Moses to make the tabernacle, God gave Moses a revelation or a vision. These are in the Bible. Visions and revelations are in the scripture. We shouldn't be so freaked out because somebody has a vision or a revelation. They're in the Bible. God gave Moses a vision and a revelation of a tabernacle of how he was supposed to build this specific structure. And God says, as above, so beneath. As you have seen, so do. That's what he was telling him. That's always been God's mandate on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is what's going on here is Jesus has come down with the government of heaven and his design and desire is to rightfully restore the government of heaven unto mankind. Because Adam and Eve, when they were created, they carried the government of heaven. They were the, Satan had no power here. He had no authority. And what ended up happening was Adam gave the keys to the kingdom to Lucifer. And then Lucifer became the God of this world. And this is why the world has fallen. This is why the world is a disaster. This is why there's such corruption and such wickedness in the land. It's not just the sin that's inborn with us because Adam sinned. It's because the Bible says that the devil makes his, his dwelling place a wasteland. It's what he does. The devil doesn't sow fields. The devil doesn't create worlds. The devil destroys. Steel kills and destroys. 
And so the enemy comes and he has design and desire. Look at the majority of the world. The majority of the world, is, the governments are completely, you think your government's bad right now. You look at the government of the world. It's, it, they're, they're complete and total disasters. Go to Haiti, two hours off our coast. You want to see a wasteland? A beautiful island that's literally a wasteland. Go to some of these places in Africa where there's all kinds of worship of foreign gods and demonic bondage. Go to India, where Alex is from. I mean, life is cheap there. These kids, those kids that you saw on the screen, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. Life is cheap. They mean nothing. And so the, and the, and the enemy makes the world a wasteland. It's what he does. And so the obligation of, God's, of, of the believer and we're going to get into this, the restored authority is that we are supposed to make, we are supposed to operate and create on earth as it is in heaven. That's a broad subject. That's a very broad header that I just laid out there. And the question inevitably is, is what does that mean? Exactly. What does that mean? But Jesus had to come down with the government of heaven in order to restore the government of heaven back to man. That was the whole point. And so Jesus comes down. The government will be upon his shoulders. What government was on Jesus' shoulders? The government of heaven. Did he exercise authority? Did he exercise dominion? Did he demonstrate the government that he held the government of heaven? Did he, de- did he do that? Of course he did. So I'm going to give you a few of them. Number one, he demonstrated the kingdom of heaven and the authority of heaven through his teaching. He would teach. The people would gather to him. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having what? authority, not like the scribes. Jesus didn't teach like he read this somewhere, right? I was reading last night and this is what I think. You know, he's not giving some opinion. He's speaking because he is the word of God. He knows what he's talking about. He's not making it up. He's teaching them the word because he is the word. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory the, only glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Tells us who he is. The word of God comes forth into the world in the person of Jesus. He is the word. And he's full of grace and truth. You want to know who Jesus is? The Bible tells us who he is. It tells us his glory. When the Bible uses the word glory, it's the Hebrew word kavod, and it means weight or substance. The substance of who God is. His glory. Show me your glory. Show me the substance of who you are. That's what that word means. When God wants to put glory on your life, the Bible tells us that we can't, we, whom he justified, he sanctified in order to glorify. That's the discipleship process that's going on in the life of the believer. We, we have to partner with this process. If we don't partner with God's process, God's process is never fully manifested in your life. Just want to share that with you. You can be saved and go into heaven. That's called justified. You come to Christ, you get, give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you're justified. But whom he justified, he sanctifies, which means what? He sets you apart. He starts cutting you away from old ways, old habits, old thinkings, and starts teaching you new ways, new habits, new thinking. If you won't take that transition, there's a lot of Christians that don't take the transition from justification into sanctification. They never do. And their scent, the Bible says the scent remains. They've not changed. They've not emptied themselves from vessel to vessel. They've never processed or partnered with God's process of sanctification. And there's no difference in their life. Oh, they're saved. Going to heaven, churches are full of these types of people. But very few are sanctified. 
or are walking in some level of sanctification where there's a trans, where something transforming in their life because their life is being set apart through, through the actions of the Spirit and the willingness of the person and the willingness to partner with the Spirit of God on that. So very few, all can be justified. The vast majority of believers are justified. But sanctification is a process. Not all are sanctified. Oh, we're sanctified spiritually. Somebody's going to argue that with me. We're already set apart. We're already sanctified. Yes, you're repositioned in Christ. You're sanctified. But he's sanctifying your life. You understand? That's what the Spirit of God is doing is sanctifying your life. And then the, other, the third dimension of that is, just, is, is um, glorification. Whom he justified, he sanctified. Whom he sanctified, he glorified. God wants to glorify your life. What does that mean? He wants to put weight and substance on your life. Anybody want weight and substance on your life? Come on, right? We want our lives to matter. We're born on purpose with a purpose. Destiny rings. When you, call, you, you think you had thought about destiny before you came to Jesus, when you come to Jesus, that's about all you can think about. It just it doesn't stop. Destiny and purpose is ringing in you because the Spirit of God is in you, and he, that's what he's all about. But we've got to partner with that process from justification or justification to sanctification. And then even when you're being sanctified, you've got to move into this place where God can put weight on your life. Not all can do it. All are invited, but not all will. And I'm telling you, it's not because Jesus doesn't invite you. He invites you. The question isn't whether you're invited. The question is, is are you willing? Are you willing? That's what he asked the disciples. Are you able to drink of the cup? You want the glorification, you want the weight, you want the position, but can you endure that process? Are you able to commit your life in such a way and learn me, obey me, listen to me, and lead out of your life from that context? Are you able to do that? That's really the question. And so Jesus exercises his authority. One of the ways is through teaching. The Bible says that he teaches the word, that he is the word. And that the weight that's on Jesus's life, the glory that was on Jesus, the substance is who he is, is twofold. Grace. What's grace? Spiritual power moving in love. So what is Jesus all about? Activating, releasing spiritual power moving in love. That's what he's all about. And what's love? The highest good. So God's design and desire is to release his power in your life, supernaturally and spiritually, weighted and moving in love, working towards your highest good. Christians get this idea that love's all about um, this emotion. It's not an emotional experience. Love, God's love is intention. If you understand anything about God's love, understand that it is not an emotion. It is an intention. He sets his love on you. And what love does he set? I am going to work for your highest good no matter what. Even if you're faithless, I'm going to be faithful. Even if you keep wanting to blow your house up, I'm going to keep working to make it work. I'm going to keep working in your direction for your highest good. This is what it's all about. And so the weight of Jesus is, uh, the weight of who Jesus is is spiritual power moving in love, working, always working, forever working towards your highest good. And he's full of truth. And Jesus even defines truth. His words are truth. What is truth? Je- Jesus cannot lie. I don't know if you know that. It's, he, he has no capacity to lie. You know what's even more fascinating? And I've experienced this so many times, is that when you say something to him, he absolutely believes you when you say it. It's profound. When you say something to him, he believes you. When you say, I do inner healing with people. I watch people get set free with confession, repentance, all this different stuff, boom. And I watch it right in front of my eyes. And I get in the car and I drive home and I'm like, 
I'm like, did I just see that? You know? And then I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, I wasn't really convinced they were saying that in a meaningful way. You know what I mean? Because like as humans, we're like, well, do you really mean it? Are they really, you know, I don't know if I can measure how well they, they're meaning what they're saying. And I asked the Lord, I said, but you take them and felt like he was telling me, I take people at face value. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? And he, of course, he answers me with his word. First Corinthians 13, love believes all things. God is love. And the Bible says love believes all things. He believes you. So you need to be careful when you're talking to him. You know, when you say things, he actually believes you mean what you're saying. That's why when people believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, he actually believes you. He doesn't qualify you any other way other than the fact that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and the Lord says, I'll do it for you because I trust what you're saying to me. You've opened your heart and you've said the words, that's good enough for me, and he accepts it. But I don't know if you would accept that, right? If you paid this enormous price and you were trying to give it away, I think you'd put a few more conditions on it before you did that. Know what I mean? <laughs> but he doesn't because he believes what you say. That's why people go, well, I think, you know, we, we judge salvation in these weird ways. Well, how, all Jesus asks you to do is take a step. That's all he's asking. Can you take a step? Can you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth? Can you open your heart and say these things? Can you confess that I'm Lord? Can you confess? Whether you understand it or not, can you make a conscious choice to choose to believe it? And can you speak these words? Will you speak these words? That's all it takes. When you get married, what's, it, what's involved there? Can we talk? Can we talk about what's involved in marriage? And what means marriage? Right? When you two people stand in front of the guy, and guy just went through there, and I love you, I love you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. Sign the paper, boom, they're married. <laughs> Ladies, you believe him when he says that to you, don't you? Right? You believe it. You're pledging yourself one to the other. Full of grace and truth. Jesus is truth, and he, he cannot lie to you. What he says is true. If it were not so, I would have told you. What a beautiful statement. If these things were not so, I would tell you. Crazy. Second place he exercised governmental authority or heaven's government is over demonic power. Happy day. This should get us hallelujah whether you understand this or not. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons Jesus came to save sinners. Yep, that's one of them. He's got a whole list of why he came, and one of them is that. But there's a whole other one. is because he wanted to crush the head of the devil. He, he, it was an affront. So the devil enslaves mankind and then blasphemes God back to his face through the lives of people. You created them. They're in your image. Watch me destroy them. And you can do nothing about it. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to tie both hands behind my back. They're going to blindfold me, and I'm still going to win. That's right. This wasn't a contest, ladies and gentlemen. This was not a contest. There was no contest. It wasn't this epic struggle between Jesus and the devil. The devil had no chance. He had no chance. Jesus was in control of the situation from beginning to end. It went down exactly as he ordained it and exactly as he decreed it. He said, this is how it's going to happen, and I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen thousands of years before it actually goes down, and I'm going to fulfill it to the letter. And the devil, the devil could read the scriptures too. He knew the word of God. The devil knows the word of God, people. He quotes it. Is it not written? You shall not bear, you will bear you up, and you will not dare. He's quoting scripture to Jesus himself. 
Jesus is like, good, read that. You can read it, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> it's a story about Larry Bird. You might know Larry Bird. I don't know if you all know Larry Bird, right? So Larry Bird, uh, he was like a killer, and they used to say that Larry Bird trash-talked all the time. And there was a guy doing an interview about who kind of player Larry Bird was. Larry Bird comes off the bench, walks up, it's like three seconds on the clock, looks at the guy guarding him and says, I'm getting the ball. And the guy goes, I know you are. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I'm getting the ball, and I'm going to shoot it right in your face. And they said, and he said, and Larry got the ball, and Larry shot it right in my face, and he drained the three and walked off the, walked off the court. That's Jesus. I'm getting the ball. Devil's like, I know you're getting the ball. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm getting the ball, and I'm going to shoot it right in your face. That's, this is the God we serve, man. The Bible says he made an open spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him openly. Openly. His humiliation on the cross was the, was the devil's absolute doom. He was humiliated, but for a moment. And the devil is destroyed eternally from that act. Blindfolded, on his knees, hand tied behind his back. He would have probably laid down prostrate, you know, probably like... like Okay, bungee me up. Like, mom, put me in like a mummy wrap. Okay, I can still win. You know, I mean, there's no way he could lose. He, there's no way. And you don't think he can overcome things in your life? You don't think that he can do things in your life? Jesus is casting out devils, man, right and left. Son of God, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? They saw him and they completely freaked out. Oh, my gosh. He's coming to, he's coming to give us our condemnation before the appointed time. This isn't the time. Why are you here? They couldn't even understand why he was here. He's casting out devils because he came to set man free. Demonic power that holds man is greater than sin. God has not only given the, the sin that, he, that the devil held over mankind, the enslavement, the rights of inheritance that he holds to the whole human race. Devil holds rights of inheritance to the whole human race. Those without Christ, you are bound to the devil. Make no mistake. You say, no, I'm not. I don't have any chains on me. You can't see the chains, but they're there. Yeah. Yeah? The devil claims the right of inheritance to all of the human race apart from Christ. All of them. And he has that right. Because it was given to him by Adam. And we exercise our right and we give our lives to the last Adam. So Jesus offers man a choice. With me, without me. And that's when we come to Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We come out of the darkness and the slavery of sin, the bondage of the heart of sin. That's what we do. But there's another place that we have to come to, which is the dominion in our lives. There are tons of Christians. If we think that, if we think that giving your life to Jesus is the magic bullet and it just solves every problem in your life, all i got to say is look around. Look around. You have to exercise dominion in your life. You're born again. You're a son or daughter of the highest. You have absolute total authority. I can bring a five-year-old in here that knows how to talk straight and, they, and put a demonically manifesting person in front of him, and that five-year-old has authority over that devil. The lowest of the believer has the power over the highest of the devil. It's that, it's that extreme. But what has to happen is Christians, we're given this totality of authority in our lives, and we are called to exercise dominion over our lives. Like God told the, the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, they had to take the promised land. There are lands and territory in your lives that the devil claims. Can I get a witness? Yeah. You know that belongs to you, but you just can't get it. And you wonder, what? well, it must not be God's will. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with God's will. It has to do with you not knowing what you're doing. 
You need to understand what it is that you're doing and what power you have and what right you have. The devil claims rights. He can do nothing but by right. He cannot drag men to hell. God's not sending anybody to hell. The the enemy will take them there because it's his right to own them. It's by right of ownership. He can do nothing in anybody's life but by right. I don't care what anybody said to me. I've seen it face to face. I've seen it up close and personal. I know how this works. You want to talk this talk, I can do do four hours on this subject. The enemy does nothing but by right of inheritance. Nothing. Nothing. in, In the believer's life, the things that he does in your life is by right of inheritance. He works in the children or the sons and daughters of disobedience. And people say, oh, that's because of those who've not obeyed Christ. That's only one aspect of it. There's lots of born-again believers that have massive contradictions in their life, huge areas of disobedience, and the enemy claims each one of those. He claims them. God's not doing anything. What happens is the enemy gets a right to you, and he holds it up, and what does he do? Devil's an accuser of the brethren, is he not? This is not what the Bible says. He accuses us day and by night. That's a statement. In our, we, we put this in like childlike terms. It's like, well, the devil's accusing us and Jesus is proclaiming our righteousness. No, the devil comes with a right of accusation and he holds up the card. He says, I claim this. I desire to enforce this. And that's what happens. And God oftentimes doesn't immediate. So when it says God judges, what he's doing is he's judging in relationship to the case that is brought against the believer not because of their condemnation. You can be born again. Anybody have the devil wreak havoc? I mean, am I the only one? Or has the devil, am I the only one where the devil just like basically drives a truck through my house? I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe you, can, maybe you liken it to natural circumstances. I don't. If it's unnatural, it's not natural, right? And so what he does is he does it by right of inheritance and he lays claim to the right of inheritance. What happens with the believer, all of those things are broken only through a very simple word of repentance. You have to repent. That's it. Well, I've already repented. I've given my life to Jesus. That's right. You've given your life to Jesus. But why are you broke? Why is it that every single time you go to touch something, it falls apart? Why are you emotionally tormented? Why is your mind just, just all over the place and you're just under the state of depression and you can't control the thoughts that race through your mind? Why is that? Why is that? Why are these things, these anomalies in your life that you just can't really understand why these things are happening? I'm going to tell you why. You're not exercising the authority that's been given to you. Dominion. You say, well, where do I exercise it? Because the enemy's not going to show you where the problem is. The Holy Spirit will show you. But the devil will never show you. You think the devil's going to tell you what right he has on you? He's never going to tell you that. But the Holy Spirit will show you. And it's broken through repentance. I'll give you a real simple thing, and i got to move on. Real simple thing. Altars and blood. That's what speak against us. So what speaks against us is altars and blood. Where he claims, and then, so that's one thing. What is altar? Where have you bowed? To what have you bowed? Where have you bowed? Just a thought. Right? I know, you know, we wouldn't admit that. We bow to money, we bow to this, we bow to fame, we bow to that. We bow to all kinds of things. We don't bow to idols, but we do bow to stuff. So what, was, what is an idol? The master passion. What's your master passion? What drives you more than anything else in your life? That's your idol. If Jesus isn't the root cause behind that, it can be. Well, I'm driven for my business. That's fine. But make that business Christ-driven. Make that business motivated by the Lord. Make that business for him, by him, to him, and through him. And then it's not an idol. But unfortunately, most people don't do that. They go, you just stand over here, Jesus. I'm going to run my business until I need you. And when I need you, I'll call you. Ding, ding, ding. And make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready if I need you because I'm going to handle most of it. You've got an idol. 
You actually worship self-sufficiency. That's another one. So altars and idols, altars and blood. What's in your bloodline? What's in your bloodline, Christian? Huh? You got occultism in your bloodline? You think he double doesn't claim that? Are you crazy? You cr- we live in Miami, man. The capital of Santeria. Open witchcraft in Miami. Blood sacrifice in Miami. <laughs> All kinds of little things. Special baths. Blowing cigar smoke, getting smacked with a pigeon or two, stand in a circle, all kinds of this stuff. We have all kinds of this stuff. You have to renounce that stuff. You have to repent of that stuff. You have to break association with that through your bloodline. I'm just telling you, it's not hard, but you have to do it. It's very easy. Devil can spend 40 years binding you up, and Jesus will set you free at a moment. Not just from sin, but from all the bondages. Our problem is, is we don't want to confront this stuff. you got to confront this stuff, man. You have to confront these areas of your life. If it's not, it, it, you know, God will, get, listen, Israel went around a mountain for 40 years and they never repented. They never took account for the things that went on in their life. And so if you want to keep going around a mountain for 40 years, be my guest. But as for me, I refuse. I'm not going around the mountain. Search me and know me, Lord. That's what David said. What's in me? Jesus said the prince of this world comes and he has what? Nothing in me. Jesus is the only one that can make a claim to say the devil has no claim to me. No claim. Another area is wounds. Wounds. Where are you wounded? Childhood wounds. Absolutely. 100%. Incepted lies that you believe. Lies not you believe with your mind, but lies that you believe from your heart. Just the thought. You have to break covenant with that. You have to get rid of that. It's easy. It's not hard. It's not hard. The only, part, the only hard part is the vulnerability. Other than the vulnerability, there's nothing hard about it because Jesus has already done the work. It's already done. It's already done. So all you got to do is exercise the dominion in your life. People don't want to admit that this stuff is true, but I'm just going to tell you, look around the church, man. Look around the Christians. Read your Bible and compare it to what God what is actually going on. Read the promises that God has made over his people and read the declarations that he has made over his people and then look at the lives of his people. And you tell me there's not a disconnect there. And we chalk it up to sovereignty. We just say, well, it's God's will. It's not God's will. It has nothing to do with God's will. It has nothing to do with God's will. You being enslaved to poverty has nothing to do with God's will. Sickness, disease, depression, torments of the mind, torments of the body, wickedness, evil, all kinds of oppressions. That's not God's will. Who told you that? It's not his will. Just a thought. He directs power over not just demonic power, and you have it, Christian. You have it. And then he gets directs power over natural circumstances. So Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and they looked at him, and they said, what kind of person is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Right? So then people, like inevitably, I always got to, you know, there's some antagonist out there that's going to go, see, God creates natural disasters. You can't find one place where he created a natural disaster. How many storms did Jesus redirect? That's the question. He didn't go, ooh, we got a nice typhoon brewing over here, the Sea of Galilee. Let me just send that right on up to Tyre and Sidon and wham, drop it down on that. Jesus redirected the storm for good. He silenced the storm. James and John, shall we call fire down? Let's torch these people. These people are like profaning you, Lord. They're insulting you. Let's call fire down on them. Let's just poof. Let's just vaporize them. What did Jesus say? You don't know what spirit you're of? I didn't come to do that. 
I came to save. I didn't come to destroy. I've come to bring hope, restoration. So he directs power and his authority, the government of heaven over natural circumstances, sickness and disease. Yes, he did. He, he went to Peter's mother-in-law and rebuked the fever, and she at once got up and waited on them. Rebuked the fever. Jesus didn't ask. Jesus didn't beg. Jesus commanded. Commanded. Take up your bed and walk. He commanded. Talitha Kumai, little girl, I command you, arise. There was no question here. He wasn't going, oh, mm, oh, mm. He wasn't like laboring to bring healing. He did it with an authoritative decree and command. It's very important to know that. And guess what you have? The anointing of God. To do what? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. That's not a suggestion that's given to all believers. Mark 16, these signs shall what? Follow, accompany, be the companion of those who believe. In my name, they will. Ah, yeah. See healing? Lots of it. Not as much as I want, but lots of it. There are people here. You all have the power of God in you. You have the anointing. The problem is, is that you're ignorant of it, which ignorance is not that you're stupid. Right? Ignorance just means you don't know. You don't know. You don't understand what it is you have. You don't understand who he is and what he has given to you. And you don't understand how to exercise the dominion, the authority, and activate the anointing to the levels that he would have you do it. I'm not even saying I'm there. And I live this stuff. Okay? I live it. <laughs> but you all have it. That's why when we pray for people here, what do I do? I tell you to get up and go lay hands on them. Why? Because you don't have junior Jesus. you got full-blown Jesus in you too. You don't have junior anointing. You have full-blown anointing. Healing is a right of inheritance. It's not given to you as something you've earned. It's not something you earn. A lot of times, sickness and disease is directly related to deliverance. Injuries are healed in a different way. Sickness and disease, and I know we don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to. This is what I do. My name's Pastor Kevin. I'm your friend. Let's just call out the elephant in the room, right? People don't get healed, or there's torments within the body because there's wounds within the soul. There are torments within the body because there are wounds within the soul, 100%. 100%. I could tell you stories. I'll give you one quick one. I call it the aerobic day. Had an aerobic day here one day. Over here praying. This was our prayer zone right over here, usually, when COVID's not happening. We have a prayer zone. And so we have prayer. And so this family's over there. And um, they bring this boy to me. He's 15 years old. I just got to testify of healing. I'm talking about it. So let's give Jesus some glory. So let's go testify. And so um, this, this family brings this boy to me. He's like 15 years old. And his back is locked up. The kid can't move at all. This is one of my favorite days. This was a good day. I could give you a lot of them, but this is a pretty dramatic one, right? <laughs> and this kid's back's locked up. So they bring him to me over there, and, um, and I'm looking at him, and I'm, I'm asking the Lord. I'm like, why does a 15-year-old have a back that's frozen, you know? And so I, there's certain things I know. And I said, what's your relationship like with your father? And uh, he didn't answer. His mom's like, oh, he's got a great relationship with his father. Guess what? Grandma steps up and goes, he has a horrible relationship with his father. And so I pray for him, and I walk him through this process of what? Deliverance and forgiving and releasing his father. And it's not just words. There's a specific process that I follow. So I walk him through this process of forgiving and releasing his father. And he forgives and releases his father. And I didn't even have to tell him. Before I could even tell him, the kid's doing toe touches. He's like literally doing like, I don't know what you call those things. And he just started doing it. It's a 15-year-old boy. 
but his back's locked up because of unforgiveness. The pain is manifesting, the emotional pain is manifesting through the thing. And all of a sudden, the mother sees this, and she goes, can you do anything for pain in the side? She's like... (laughs) She's like, I can't lift my arm. I go, you have pain in your side? So I know this from doing healing and deliverance. I know that pain residing in a man's lower back in particular is issues with their father. Uh-huh. Maybe overt, maybe they're direct issues from the father, or maybe they're a suppressed issue from the father, or maybe it's a, uh, what is the word, a perception issue from the father. Maybe, they just, maybe their dad did love them, but they perceived their father didn't love them. Maybe, who knows, somewhere in that. But lower back is almost always issues with the father. I know for women, pain in the side is self-consciousness. And so I asked her, I said, are you self-condemning? Are you self-conscious and are you really hard on yourself? She's like, I am. And so, Well, first I prayed for her, so let me just say this. I go, okay, let me pray for you. I pray for her and like nothing. There's like nothing. Like she still can't, no, the pain's still there. It's still an eight. I still can't move it, right? So let me just be clear. I didn't just walk out there like Wonder Man and have all the answers right off the get, right off the rip. I had to experiment a little bit and figure out what was going on. And so then I'm stepping back and I'm looking at it going, okay, what's going on here? And so I'm like, okay, self-conscious. So I asked her, I said, do you have self-consciousness? You, is there a lot of self-condemnation with you, with yourself? And she just started crying. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm dead. That's so true. I can't believe it. And her husband wasn't a believer. And this is funny. And so I walk her through this process of forgiving herself, of releasing herself, of you know whatever, however God led me in the prayer. And I walk her through that process of doing healing towards herself. And then she's doing this. And so I got the kid over there. He's doing like toe touches, and then the mom's doing this. You know, it looked like an aerobic exercise going on over there. You know, like Richard Simmons. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Sweating for Jesus in the corner. And the husband, when, when the wife, because the husband's standing behind her, and when the husband started moving, when she started moving her arms, he, he like just completely stepped back. And he's like looking at me like, how did that happen? Well, and it's not, it wasn't just miracle power in the healing. The, the pain and the body was retaining it, and there was no effect. Listen, if medical science can't do anything, well, let's go prayer first. If prayer doesn't move it and medical science doesn't move it, you have an upwards of 90% chance there's something spiritual linked to the emotion that's going on there. How many people have, they, I, I could tell you story after story after story on what I just said. Just a thought. So, Anyway, back to that. Jesus exercised power over sickness and death. We have this power as believers. The devil wants to keep the church stupid. You know, we think wham, bam, and the person's healed. And if we don't do wham, bam, and the person's healed, we think, oh, Jesus didn't want to heal him. Who told you that? Jesus wants to heal everybody. You don't know what you're doing. Let's just be clear. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I don't know what I'm doing. But you know what I did? I pressed into healing. I pressed into knowledge. I began to press. I had a vision one time. The Lord showed me some dude in a cave. Now, it's not getting evolution here, but in a cave. And I felt the Lord say to me, my people's knowledge of healing is, is primitive. And when he said that to me, when God says stuff to you, it's an invocation to go higher. He always invokes you higher. He never leaves you the same. When God says something to you, like he says, Kevin, my no- people's knowledge of healing is primitive. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, I guess he wants me to do a healing series or something. I don't know. You know, I, I'm like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, okay, yeah, we're, we're primitive. But then I started to meditate on it, and I was thinking, well, wait a second. So if that's a primitive knowledge, there has to be a sophisticated knowledge. So I'm like, okay, Lord, if the knowledge of healing is primitive, then give me the sophisticated knowledge. And you know when it begins? Next level always begins with the way you think. You have to completely transform the way that you think. The paradigms that you think with and the paradigms that you see from are not sufficient to take you to the next level. If you want to go to next levels in Jesus, you have got to change the way that you think. 
because the paradigms that you ha- currently have are not sufficient to take you to the next level. That's a fact. And so I had to change the way that I thought. I had to change my perceptions. I had to go back and revisit all of the things that I've learned, all of the dogma, everything that I looked at, and I had to deal with God over, over a bunch of this stuff. And I had to show me. And he, God, and if you listen, you, you can cultivate a relationship with Jesus where he's going to commune with you. I'm not asking him for something that's not in his heart. It's his heart to give that knowledge. It's not his heart to withhold it. It's his heart to give it. But he doesn't cast pearls before swine. He doesn't give valuable things to people that don't value it. And so I had to express an honor towards it, and I had to express a value towards it. And as I began to express value and honor towards it and being willing to do the things that he told me, then the knowledge began to open up to me. Then the revelation began to open up to me. And when I say that, I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm not. But I knew where I was, and I know where he has brought me. And I have great hope into where I'm going. (laughs) And so should you. I'm trying to tell you guys how this stuff works. You have dominion. You have authority. And we're ignorant as to how it works. We placate. We say stupid statements. These flat, generic statements that don't manifest a reality. I don't want a flat, generic statement. I want the the reality to manifest. If he said, this is the way it can be, I don't care what the generic statement... You know, we just make these stupid statements... I don't care about the stupid statement. I want the reality. Give me, give me that. Give me that. I want it real. I don't need a show. I don't need people to scream. I don't need people to roll on the floor. I don't need people to flip back five rows. I don't need that. I need healing. I don't, I, I'm not interested in the demonstration of people's emotional reaction. I don't really, it, it, it's, it's indifferent to me, but I'm not going for that. What I'm going for is the healing. What I'm going for is the deliverance. That's what I'm going for. He has authority over life and death. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. Jesus had authority over his own life. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. And he says, if I give my life away, I have authority to take it up again. So he has authority over life and death. Happy day. (laughs) He has authority over eternity. Here's another happy day. You don't have to worry, Christian. Jesus is Lord of all. You giving your life to him? He's Lord of all. Enter into the joy of the Lord, into the kingdom which has been prepared from you from the foundations of the world. You will inherit the kingdom. You have his dominion in this world, but you will have his dominion in the next. It is your father's good pleasure. It is his joy to give you everything he has. Why somebody wouldn't want Jesus, I don't know. No one takes my life, I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have authority to take it back up again. He willed his death to telestai, the Bible says. He cried out on the cross, it is finished, and he willed and gave up his spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 1.16, declared to be the Son of God through the resurrection of the dead from the, by the power of the Spirit of holiness. He willed his life back up, and he willed his life down. He's complete and total authority. Total authority. <laughs> Who's got that kind of authority? I don't. <laughs> he does. He's Lord of eternity. He said, you granted him all people. That he might, Jesus is praying and he's making a prayer to the Father. This is John 17. Graduate studies. You want to know graduate studies? John chapter 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is giving lasting instructions to his disciples. And he's praying to the Father for their sake. And he says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all that have been given to him. It's the Greek word didakos, which means produced by him. So when you come to Christ, a life is produced in you. And that life that is produced in you by Jesus is given to you eternally. You will live forever. You will live forever. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever, you're immortal, man. I mean, I I think about that sometimes. I'm immortal. I know it's hard to think, but I'm immortal. I will live forever. I will have eternal life. 
There is an eternal life and there is an eternal death. Believe me, you want the eternal life. You don't want the eternal death. In dying, you will die and die and die and die and die. It's a living death. When the, when the unbeliever dies, it's not just they die and there's nothing else. No, it's death and death and death and death and death and death. When the believer inherits eternal life, what is it? Life and life and life and life and life. Endless life, eternal life. It says that all who should honor the Father will honor the Son. The ones who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father. People say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. It's an impossible statement. Can't happen. He said, if you do not honor me, you don't honor God at all. I don't care what your God is. Those who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father. Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn among all. The first one of the resurrection from the dead. He is, the all, he, is the, he is Lord of all. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The government as heaven is come, is come in a near and a far world. So, okay? so Christ came down, demonstrated that he had the authority of the government of heaven, validating Isaiah 9 in a very powerful way. But this word that God gives, the government's on his shoulders. How many knows we're the body of Christ? Are we not the body of Christ? Right? Anybody? Do I need, we need to go? We, we, <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, we're the body of Christ. So the, we're the body of Christ. And so the government rests upon the shoulders of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ in this world. So Jesus is going to come in fullness, and he's going to bring the fullness of the government of heaven. But in the meantime, he has delegated authority to his church. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are his body. We are his delegated ambassadors. We are Christites, and we are co-workers. All of those things are biblical names for what we are. Christites, we're called Christians. That's the biggest one, which means we're images. So Christ being anointing, anointing being spiritual power, right? So we are images of... Of spiritual power. We are the images of the one who carried the anointing for us, Jesus. So we're images not just of Jesus, but we're images of anointing, which means there should be spiritual power flowing in our lives, guys. Really, that's what separates us. That's what separates the Christians from the Moose Lodge. That's what separates the Christians from the United Way. United Way can feed the poor, so can the Moose Lodge, right? United Way can open orphanages, what it demonstrates with us, spiritual power moving in love. We have power and ability that, that they just don't have. We are commanded. So all believers are commanded. This is important. This is important. Heal the sick, raise the dead. This is structured in an emphatic imperative, which means it's a command. So Matthew 10, 8, when Jesus says, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cleanse the lepers, and you cast out demons. What's the inevitable question? How do we do that, right? Isn't that the question? That would be my question. How? <laughs> That's the question he's inviting us to. That's the question he's inviting us to learn. But we are commanded to do it nonetheless. One of the ways we do it is through the right use of our senses. We practice, 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 practice. <laughs> oh, I got a lot of stories. <laughs> this stuff fires me up. And I'm like, oh, I got that story. I got a couple stories over here, but I'm not going to do that because I'm almost out of time. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. So we're commanded to heal the sick. We're commanded to raise the dead. We're commanded to cleanse the leper. And leprosy in our modern context can be looked at as issues of the flesh. Cleanse people's issues of the flesh. Help them, restore them with the issues that they have within their flesh. Anybody got any issues of the flesh? <laughs> yes. I got one witness. Woman in the Bible, she had an issue of blood. She had something with her blood. So she had an issue in her blood. 
We have, there are people that have issues in their flesh. Let's cleanse them of the issues within their flesh. That's another way of looking at it. Mark 16, these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. This passage is so powerful that even the church has tried to dismiss this passage as meaningless. But it's absolutely true. Well, Jesus didn't really mean that, really. He didn't mean Mark 16. These signs will follow those. They will drive out demons in my name. They will speak with new tongues. They will supernaturally be protected from serpents and scorpions, treading upon them, drinking anything poisonous. They will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. This actually, this word, when they're supernaturally protected by snakes, it means they will bear away the serpents. That's the language. So the church is empowered to bear away the serpent. What is a serpent? Is it, a, is it like physical snakes? It's a figurative language. Serpent represents demonic power. Serpent represents lies, deceit, deception, destruction. My people have the power to bear those away. You have the power. You go bear away these serpents, man. Bear them away. The rule of heaven and earth is hidden until Jesus returns. It's hidden. Where's the, where's the power of the government of heaven hidden? The government of hidden is hidden within the life of the church. The believer must manifest. In order for the power of heaven to be realized, it has to be manifested through the corporate church and through the believer's life. The power is given, but it resides hidden until the believer steps in or out or in their authority. The willingness of the corporate body and the individual Christian, that's how the kingdom is known. We do it here all the time. You come to some of our spiritual encounters, man. We do classes here all the time. We do Firestarter. That's an easy one. Anybody can do Firestarters? Come to Firestarters. You prophesied day one. Come to Firestarters. Will you lay hands on the sick and you'll actually see people get healed? And you'll be like, what? Was that me? No, that was Jesus. But nonetheless, the anointing that you have from him is what caused that to happen. You'll see visions. We'll teach you how to see visions. What? This sounds weird. Why is it weird? It's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. Take the red pill, Neo. Go down the rabbit hole. Right? Come out of the matrix. Come into the great reality. (laughs) It's given to you. Jesus will teach you how to see visions. He'll teach you how to commune with him. Teach you how to hear his voice. You can hear the Lord 100%. All believers can. My sheep what? Hear my voice. Right? I didn't say my sheep read my word. That's part of it. But my sheep what? Hear my voice. He speaks. He's still speaking. He hasn't stopped speaking. I tell Christians he didn't write a book and lose his voice. We somehow think God got laryngitis. As soon as he wrote the last verse in the book of Revelation, Lord, come quickly and my reward is with me, period. Oh, my voice is gone. Can't speak anymore. Won't be able to speak until the next level of eternity happens. He didn't lose his voice. He's still speaking. Hidden within the church, the willingness of the corporate body and the individual Christian, we're all responsible This is important. This is extremely important. I cannot understand why we gloss over this so often in our modern world, but it's very important. All believers are responsible to learn. All. All all believers are responsible to obey. All. All believers are are responsible to exercise the dimensions of the power given to us. All are responsible to give their best efforts into these things. How so? Prayer, praise, worship, dunamis. Dunamis is the abiding power. The dunamis is the manifest power of God. So there's different words for power. One of them is dunamis. Spirit comes in you. The abiding power of God is dunamis. The manifest power of God is dunamis. There's also exousia, which is the releasing of that power. We're called to demonstrate and activate dunamis power. We're called to demonstrate and activate exousia power. We're called to learn how to command and decree That's another big one. 
If you will say to this mountain, if you will say to these things, we're supposed to learn how to command and decree. We're supposed to learn how to stand for and establish systems in the earth that bring about what is right to God. We don't establish systems or, or influence or try to shift systems that are right to man. That's irrelevant. We are to establish and build systems that are right to the Lord. That's what we're called to do. What does this do? This takes, this takes work. This sounds like work, man. Yeah, it's work. Of course it's work. It's your father's business. That's why it's work. It takes work. The Bible says it hadn't rained upon the earth because no one was tilling the soil. It's Genesis, I think Genesis 3. Why is there no rain? Because no one's tilling the soil. Why is heaven not rain? Because there's no one's tilling the soil. It did not rain because no one was working the ground. If we were waiting for God to do something. Jesus is waiting for us to do something. Work the ground. <laughs> I'll show up. I'll send the rain. It takes work. It takes intentionality. You have to be intentional about this. You have to determine this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a part of my life and I'm going to be intentional in this way. Relational presence, which means you've got to learn him. So it takes, what's it take? It takes work, it takes intention, and it takes learning the relational presence of Jesus. If you're going to learn the relational presence of Jesus, you're going to come up against all of your insufficiencies. You're going to come up against the lies that you believe regarding your value and regarding your worth. Most Christians can't relate to Jesus because they have value and worth issues within their soul. They have to heal the value and worth issues within their soul. There's some false perception, some lie, not in their head, but in their heart that doesn't believe they're worthy, doesn't believe they're acceptable. There's something there. But the relational, the relational presence has to be cultivated. You've got to be enduring and you've got to have faithfulness. Here's the deal. This is a parable of the talents. This is important too. This is a very important passage of Scripture. And do you know why? Any kind Jesus says, I'm going to hold you accountable for this, we should pay attention. So if your teacher says, there's going to be a test on this, or I'm going to require that you have this knowledge, or I'm going to require that you do this, do you think they're kidding? He's not kidding. When he says this, this is on all believers. So he talks about the parable of the talents. The kingdom is like a man who had, a, who had a servants, and, he, and the man gave talents to the servants and went off on a long journey. To one he gave five, to one he gave three, and to one he gave one. And so the one with the five went off and did good with it and produced five more. The one with three went off with three and produced three more. The one with one buried it in the ground. A lot of reasons why he did that. The Bible tells us that he was afraid. Then it indicates through the words that he gave that he, his perception was, God doesn't need me, right? That's a big lie in the church. God doesn't need me. Who told you that? He says to him, he says, look, he says, those who received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man or a determined man or an unwavering man. God's like, I'm unwavering on this. I'm, not, I'm determined on this. You will produce fruit for me. I don't care if it's like three grapes. You're not going to, that's the thing. Don't come before the Lord empty-handed, Christian. I knew you to be a determined man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not born again. I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent in the ground. I did nothing with what you gave me. Absolutely nothing. Look, here's what's yours. And the Lord answered it and said, you wicked, which is translated worthless and self-interested. You worthless and self-interested and lazy servant. You did nothing. You did nothing. I gave you my spirit. I gave you my word. I gave you my church. I gave you my community. I gave you vision. I gave you purpose. And you did nothing. You did nothing. <laughs> he will not accept excuses. 
People that think Jesus is going to party on this, I mean, he's going to, look, you're saved, you're standing in front of him, but you're going to stand in front of the Lord in front of your peers. You will be surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You will stand before the Lord and give an account for your life on what you did with, your, with this gospel. And what are you going to do? I did nothing? Do you want to really hear Jesus say to you, worthless and self-interested? Lazy? You couldn't get out of bed? You couldn't get up an hour earlier? Well, I had to work a job, and I had kids, and I had this, and I had that. You couldn't give me one day a week, dude. You couldn't give me one hour? You couldn't give me one day a month? You, know, you couldn't give me one day a year? <laughs> I knew you would reap where you have not sown and gather where you would not scattered. You should have deposited my money with the stewards that at my coming I would have received interest. So take from him what is his and give it to the one who has ten. So there's an expectation over all of our lives, mine included. I'm accountable for my potential. Hmm? I'm not just accountable for what I've been given. I'm accountable for the potential of what I've been given. Yep. It has nothing to do with what you've been given. You've been given something, but you, you, I, there's a potential that comes with that gift, and you are accountable for the potential that's given to it as well. He does, not make, he does not accept excuses, so there's an expectation for his life. He does not accept excuses. What does he do? He rebukes the laziness, he rebukes the ignorance, and he rebukes the presumption that there was no expectation. He presumed that he wasn't going to be accountable. He presumed. He falsely presumed. Christians falsely presume that they can, well, that's your job. You just do your thing. You know, that's fine. If you're, if you're faithfully tithing and supporting a church, you can say that. But if you're not faithfully tithing and supporting a church, you cannot say that. The church is the stewards. So the minimum standard of all believers is to support the church. That's the minimum standard. You should have at least entrusted it with the stewards. It begins with the stewards. It begins with the stewardship of the house of God. Like, well, how do we know what the church is doing with it? Listen, dude, you don't have to worry about it here. I stand before God. I have an accountability corporately, and I have an accountability individually. You think you have an accountability? Mine's twice what yours is. I will answer not just for my life. I will answer for the leadership and the stewardship of this church, as will all who lay claim to the leadership of the house of God. All who lay claim will answer for the stewardship. Their failures, their fears, and their cowardice will be answered for. Yeah, all of it. And I'm well aware of that. And so it says he expected, he expects them, to, he rebukes their thought that they wouldn't, there would be no expectation. It says the minimum standard, man. You couldn't, you couldn't tithe and give to the church. You couldn't support the work of the local ministry. You couldn't even do that. That's what he's saying. Here's Charles Spurgeon. If we cannot directly or personally uh, operate on the Lord's account, if we do not have the skill or the tact to manage a society, a society for him or an enterprise for him, then may we at least contribute to what others are doing. Spurgeon is paraphrasing this. Specifically, the church. And let us lend our capital to this cause so that by some means when our master comes, he may receive the interest to which he is entitled. Yeah. He needs us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And we've called us to come out of ourselves and to be something more. So let me just put this in real practical terms. All believers, so we're called to support the local church. That's a given. But we're also called to reach a world that's around us. That's a given too. Go into all the world. That's the mandate. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. All of us. There are people in your life that I will never see. There are people in, in each individual's life that other people will never see. And so let's just take it down. Let's just understand the world that we live in right now. You can share this stream 
and you can impact hundreds of people and do a work of evangelism in less than two minutes than most Christians will do all year. If 50 people with 200 friends shared this stream alone, you would be reaching up to 10,000 potential people. Just 50 people sharing a stream. And here's our problem. Oh, well, I don't want my Facebook friends to know I'm a Christian. I was partying with them last night. Oons, 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 oons. And so I don't want anybody on my stream to know that I'm an actual believer. I have a word for you. Come out of the closet. Come out from among them and be separate. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before the Father. That's another sobering statement that the modern American church doesn't like to talk about. But it's clear. <laughs> we wear armor. We don't wear camo, right? We wear ar- or we, that's what we wear. We're an armored people. We're to, we're to be known. We're to be known for what we are. Doesn't mean you're perfect. So I'll give you a real simple thing. You want to contribute to the stewards, support the church, be faithful in your giving, share the stream. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You have a finger, you have a phone, boom, share the stream. How hard is that? (laughs) It's huge. Invite other people. The day is coming when the government of heaven will come in full reality. This is the happy day. So I want to challenge the Christian. I want to challenge the believer. I want to challenge you past yourself. And I want to show you how little excuses we actually have. We live in a day where almost 70% of the United States is on Facebook. I don't know if you're aware of that. Facebook's well aware of that. Seven out of 10 Americans have a Facebook account. Just Facebook alone. Forget Instagram. Forget YouTube. Forget all these other media platforms that are out there. I believe it's God's, gift, it's God's gift to our generation to where he can reach people that we would never ordinarily reach. And this generation will be accountable for the Facebook generation. Paul doesn't have to account for not having Facebook, but we do. That's right. Every means of media is a vehicle and an instrument to propagate the gospel, and it needs to be maximized. It doesn't need to be ignored. We're not ignoring it. We're not ignoring it. I have seen the light, nor should you the power and the potential of it, and you should share this stream. You should share the posts. One post. I gave a post last week. Some of you probably watching this because of the post. Had almost 400 shares. All I said is Christmas is not about a baby in a manger. It's about a child born to set the world free, and I put it on a card and put it on Facebook. 400 people shared that. Do you know that? We've gained almost 6,000 followers in three months. Let me just say that again. 6,000 followers. Is everybody watching? I don't think so. It's an economy of scale. It's a percentage game. So the larger the scale, the more people you can reach. It doesn't mean you're reaching, if you have 100,000 followers, it doesn't mean you're reaching 100,000 people. You're only going to reach a percentage of that. Therefore, you have to have a big percentage. You need to witness to your friends, Christian. Say, I don't know how to do it. Well, let me do it for you. I'll help you. That's my job. I'll give them the gospel. (laughs) No, don't, please. All my, friend, all my neighbors knew I was a Christian, no matter where I lived. I never hid my faith. For better or worse, I never hid my faith. Don't hide yours. You're accountable, Facebook generation. You're accountable, Instagram generation. You're accountable. Did you use that? Well, Lord, I just wanted to put my new boat online. I wanted to put my, you know, I wanted to flex. You know, I wanted to flex my, you know, my CrossFit body, you know. Yeah, well, did you flex my body? Did you flex my purpose? Did you flex my kingdom? Or were you too busy flexing you? What were you doing? He's going to ask you. 
ganaste, ¿no? The day's coming. In those days there will be a king of heaven will set up a kingdom in which there will, all other kingdoms will be destroyed. All the kings of the earth are going to come to nothing. And the kingdom will be left for no other people. For the kingdom of the Lord will crush and put an end to all kingdoms, but it itself will endure. Jesus is going to set the kingdom up on the earth. He's coming with the government of heaven. And there's not going to be any more earthly kingdoms. There's only going to be one kingdom. It's going to be his. And you know who gets to own that? I don't know if you're aware of this. You do. You do. You, you own that kingdom that he brings. The kingdom is prepared for you. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? I don't know, but I want to find out. Here's Zechariah. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. There will only be one. And his name will be the only one. When Christ returns, there's going to be one name and one name only. There will be no other king but Jesus. Aren't you glad? Thank you, Jesus. No more king this, government that. It's one government, and it's, and it's heaven's government. There's another parable Jesus shared, and it was the parable of the ten virgins. There were ten, ten virgins, ten pure, waiting for the Lord to come, waiting for the master to come. Five prepared, five did nothing. Where are you? They found themselves unprepared. My question is, is, are you ready? Christian, are you ready? Are you willing to do simple things? Are you ready today? I'd ask the people watching us, do you know Christ? Is Jesus in your heart? Do you know the Lord? Do you know him? He wants to know you. If you died today, do you know where you would go? You say, well, I don't think I'm going to die today. Most people that die today didn't think they were going to die today. Death is an inevitability. It's not a matter of if, it's merely a matter of when. And that when relates to are you prepared? The Bible says without Christ you are hopeless and helpless and you cannot be, you're, you're lost. You cannot save yourself. This is a fact. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's purposes. We're all lost. None of us are, we're all in the same boat and we need a savior. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We need one to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and his name is Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. All of sin and so on short, the wages of sin is eternal separation. Death, 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 ongoing eternally. But the gift of God is eternal life. Life, 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 ongoing through Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. He believes what you say. He takes you at your word. The, the, the offer is free. The only condition is that you open your heart and you say the things that he asks you to say. You say, well, how do I do it? Well, we're going to help you. So Elevate's going to pray here together, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, just go for it. This is the greatest 60 seconds of your life. This 60-second prayer is going to change everything. It's not just going to change your now. It's going to change your forever. And so let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, hit us up in the messenger. Send us a message. We love you. We bless you. Yes. God bless you. And so we're going to bless one more time. Then we're going to end the stream. We'll dismiss the service. But this is a blessing. I love this blessing. 
When God commanded Aaron, he said, I want you to pray this over the people every time you, they assemble. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Aaron, it's good enough for Elevate. You know, Aaron was the high priest in the Old Testament. And God said, I want you to bless them. It reveals the heart that God has for you. He says, may the Lord bless you. This is a commanded prayer. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.